Mommy's Podcast. It's called A Slice of Paradise. I'm so glad you're here. I hope you enjoy it. Or, or. <laughs> okay, welcome to, I get this wrong every time. Season 2, Episode 6 of A Slice of Caradice. My guest this week is Kaylee, and I almost, I've literally said Swick every time, but you're Isabel now. Yes. Kaylee Isabel. And um, Kaylee and I know each other from way back when. I, I was thinking on the way here, like, um, we had Little League, <clears throat> right? Didn't you play softball? Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah. I so we would have so, been yeah. there, birthday parties, things mm-hmm. like that. But you were in Bree's class, right? No, I was a year younger. Yeah, you're younger. Yeah. Same mutual friends. Yeah. So, um, anyway, we met through my cousin, and I think we were raised around each other for quite a bit of our childhood, and so, um, I guess it's been a few years since we've talked. You're kind of in the same circles as me again, because your husband works with me. Yes. And, uh, we see each other at those events, but Mm -hmm. anyway, so before we get started on Kaylee's story, we do want to talk about her slice, and this is going to make me laugh out loud, because... I told her last week, I need you to pick a slice, and she was like, okay, let me think. Like, I, lo- I love chocolate cake. What other cake did you Strawberry. say? Strawberry cake. You know, that all sounds really good, but give me a few hours, and I'll think on it. And then the next text I get was like 10 minutes later, and you're like, I just really think I'm just going to do cheese. Cheese. I know. And I text her back and was like, are you serious? Like, is this for real? <laughs> and... um she calls me and she's like, I just really, I just really love cheese. And I just think that we need to do cheese. And so I say, Kaylee, I, d- I don't want to show up with like Brie or Munster. And you were like, but I love Brie and Munster. Uh-huh. You know, if you bring it, I'll eat it. I'm like, no way. So our slice today is Colby Jack cheese. Yes. And we also have some summer sausage because I'm trying to eat a meal over here. And we brought, oh, cheese it. They're not even real cheese it brand. They're oh, like, you I know, could, great I value. See? Yeah. Cheap is best. Okay, so slice of the week is Colby Jack cheese. So thanks, Mitchell, for slicing up the cheese. <laughs> okay, um, so Kaylee's s- story and testimony has a lot to do with her dad. Um, her dad, Bradley, was the owner of Swick's Barbecue. How many generations was he the... Um, his dad and uncle started it. Okay. So and second then, generation. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Owner of Swick's Barbecue. And Swick's Barbecue was pretty renowned when we were kids. Um, yes. people would drive for miles to eat that stuff. And it was mm-hmm. delicious. I remember going there often. Even on my honeymoon, I met someone that lived in like a different state. And we said something about Grosbeck or, and they were like, wait, did you know Swick's Barbecue? And it was the randomest Shut thing. Up. Yes. It was so random. And he was like, well, my wedding, if I get married, will you mail it to me? I was like, sure. I'll mail, I'll mail you <laughs> some. And I'm friends with that lady still on Facebook now. So it's expected of you. Yeah. Whoa. You're going to have to deliver <laughs> on that promise. <laughs> um, so Bradley was the owner of Swick's Barbecue and uh, was a family affair and everybody around here loved it. We ate it a lot. And um, he, in 2014 tragically died by suicide and I remember he closed the shop just before that right yes, closed up correct. the restaurant mm-hmm. and so but before we get into the story of what happened that day I, I do want to back up and ask you know what you saw you remember seeing and going through prior to that day um so he had pretty much worked there his entire life um he um uh, 
that's that's was his job. He worked Monday through Saturday. He got up normally at four or five in the morning, sometimes three, um, and he would open about ten, and then he would close at five. Um, sometimes he was there late. Luckily, um, owning that, he was able to come to some of my softball games or stuff like that. He would just have to close early. So um, all through school, it was kind of nice that he was. He took me to school. Um, he literally walked me. I'm embarrassed to say this, but he walked me into school until. Uh, they wouldn't let him anymore until I got to middle <laughs> school. So literally K through fifth grade, mm-hmm. he walked me holding my hand. I smelled like, like barbecue every day because my mom dropped me off and walked me to my class every That's single day. That's not a bad smell. No, I know, but it was just <laughs> funny. And um, anyway, so he worked there um, my entire life. And then it was in November of 2013 I remember mentioning to my mom, because we were talking about, I don't even know how it got brought up, I was thinking about this the other day, but we were talking about Christmas ideas and that we hadn't really made any new Swix barbecue shirts or hats. He would get some every every once in a while. Mm-hmm. And um, I'd mentioned to her, I was like, well, maybe for Christmas I could get some new hats and new, you know, shirts and we could, you know, and she, I remember she looked at me and he wasn't even out there and she was like no, we need to, like, we need to have a talk. And so then they both talked to me and said that um, they had made the decision that he was going to close at the end of the year. Uh, I don't remember the day exactly. But um, he was going to close and that they just thought it was for the best. He was burnt out. He was tired. um, And so they just, he was just going to close it. And um, it was very, I mean, kind of shocking because, I mean, that's what he did mm-hmm. his entire life. That's all I knew. And, I mean, we never said it to him, but what was he going to do? What, right. what, what was his next move to do? Um, so then, I guess in December, he closed it down. Um, I went there the last day. We took pictures. Uh, and then he started applying for jobs. My mom was helping him. And I know he was, like, really discouraged about that, thinking, this is all I've ever done. I don't even know how to work a phone. I don't even know how to work a computer. Mm-hmm. All the above. But he still, like, she was, like, giving him, we were all like, it's okay. Like, it's yeah. okay. We're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And so then uh, we did Christmas. And it was just, you could just tell he was, like, uh, like, he was just down. Mm-hmm. And then um, and then January 31st is when our entire world flipped upside down. Okay. So tell me what you remember about that day. Okay, so um, that day, um, I had talked to him previously the Wednesday prior, or that, like, Wednesday, and I was supposed to come in um, on Friday because they were going to have, like, kind of like an estate sale, garage sale type thing, selling some of the stuff so it wasn't so, because he had, like, was selling, Mm -hmm. and um, so we were going to, I was going to help with that, and then also he wanted to put... uh, my car and my name. I don't know why it was part of the depression. He was just thinking in his mind, anything, what if something happened? He wanted to make sure I had a car to go back and forth to school. Right. So we talked on that Wednesday and um, we were talking on the phone. And the funniest thing that I can remember is that I had this outside dog named Jack and he hated that dog. I got it when I was in middle school and legit hated the dog. Mm-hmm. And mom was like, he's out there looking for that dog, worried about that it's going to uh, get too cold. And I was like, dad's worried about that dog? Like, what is wrong with him? Like, anyways, so we're talking about that. We made a plan. He knew that I had school. I had two classes on Friday and then we were going to come after that. And then we were going to make this whole plan. Mm-hmm. 
and go to the bank or the whatever courthouse. I don't know what yeah. all. And so uh, <clears throat> Thursday we didn't talk, and then Friday, um, my boyfriend at the time um, took me to school because I had a class at eight. So I went to school, and then he picked me back up, and then um, we were back at the house, and we I think we were just watching TV. And all of a sudden, um, his phone rang. And it really wasn't unusual because the service in that house was so horrible that I, he had a different carrier. So I just figured, oh, because it was my mom. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, oh, well, well, answer it. Like, she probably tried to call me and it didn't go through. And so he answers. And I can hear, because we're close enough, I can hear, he doesn't even have it on speaker. And I can hear... Um, like the worry and the terror in her voice. And I immediately like, you know, your body just kind of like tenses and you get hot and cold at the same time. Mm -hmm. And you're like, what's going on? <clears throat> and I could overhear her tell him, take Kaylee's phone. Don't let her have it. Don't let her get on Facebook, all the above. Mm -hmm. And so immediately I'm like, you're not taking my phone. Like, let me. So I start just refreshing Facebook over and over and over. Just like what's going on, what, what's going on. And I don't know if it was five minutes, if it was ten minutes, if I, at the time just went past and his phone rings again. And at the moment, I didn't know who it was, but it was the Limestone County Sheriff's Office. And he got up and walked so I couldn't hear. And I'm just sitting there like, and I don't know if this was like a God thing or I just, but I had a hunch in my mind. I was thinking it has to be something with my dad. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know if, I, I really didn't know. And so he comes back in and you can, it's like he saw a ghost and I was like, you need to tell me what's going on. What is going on? He was like, Kaylee, I have to tell you something. There's been, and I'm like, tell me that's all he could get out. He couldn't say anything. And so I run out of the house and I'm like, move like, and so, cause I know there's service outside. So I call, I call my mom. She's just bawling on the phone. She can't say anything. She can't answer. And so then I call my dad's mom, which is my brew. And I call her and I'm like, what is going on? Someone needs to tell me now. And she is just crying. And she is like, your dad, um, he's like, she, I don't remember her exact wording, but pretty much saying that he shot himself and that they're life lighting him at the very moment. And that I needed to get to Hillcrest and Waco at that moment. Mm -hmm. and I just remember like being in the front yard of the duplex we lived in, screaming at the top of my lungs, bawling. Like, had no clue. So, we run inside. I just throw clothes in a bag because I'm like, I don't even know. Like, they didn't tell me anything. They didn't say if he was good. They didn't say if he was talking. They didn't say if he was not breathing. I knew nothing. And so, I go in there and I get all my stuff. And then, my best friend, Casey, she pulls up. And that's pretty much like her dad, too. Yeah. I have to break the news to her. And so, that was just another. So, then, me and my boyfriend at the time, he drives me to... Uh, Hillcrest. And I, and so from College Station to Waco, it's an hour and 30 minutes. I don't know how long, fast it took us. Um, I remember, I can tell you where I was at one point where I emailed, I had the mindset that I needed to email my professor because I had a class at 315. And so I was going to email him and say, we had a family emergency. I won't make it to class. Why? Mm. I don't know. That was just my thought process. And I remember in Hearn and numerous places, he had to stop for me because I was throwing up just constant. I think it was, I don't even know what I was feeling. It, that was just my reaction to just yeah. instantly start throwing up. So, um, we finally get to Waco. 
I jump out of the car. I I don't know if this time he said, you know, if somebody said, oh, he's on the third floor, he's in ICU, I have no clue. But I remember going up the elevator and I came out the elevator and then where the locked doors were, I said who I was and they let me in. And I just remember running into the ICU room and it was just like a flood of emotion. There were so many cords, there were so many alarms, there were so many, so much things that I was not expecting. Like I legit was thinking either he's completely, like he's completely died or he's going to be sitting there and be like, hey, why are you worried? Right. Like, and so that wasn't the case at all. He was sitting there, um, crying. I know we were all crying. And I remember I walked in and it was that I couldn't cry. So I turned around and started going to this like corner and I just start bawling and screaming and crying. And I just fall down to the ground. I don't even remember who came over there and was like hugging and saying, you know, I don't, I, I don't even know at that moment what happened. And so then we go back in there and the doctors and nurses, and there were a few of the closest, uh, family members that, um, were in there and the doctor came in and said, um, said that pretty much there was no brain activity that we would give it X amount of hours. And then if, you know, after that time they would declare him brain dead. Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of the family thought maybe like, did we need a second opinion? Did we like, do we need to fly in a neurosurgeon? Like we didn't care how much it costs. Like we would do whatever, but that wasn't the case. There was just no way. And, um, so that was hard. And so then it was like, after that, my mom, she, she stayed at the bedside the entire time, which I don't blame her at all. But me, it was like, I had my cry and I had, but then I knew all these people, like the waiting room was completely packed with people from Grosbeck, like people I hadn't seen forever, people that we knew. And I just felt like, okay, what would my dad do? Okay. He would go out there and he would conversate and he would like say thank you. It was almost like I was at a reception or something like thank you for coming. Right. Thank you for coming. Thank you for like being here for our family. And so I went out there and I talked and people probably thought I was psycho because how like, you were able to hold yeah, it together. And I was like just holding it together, but I knew like what was I supposed to, I can't just sit there. Mm-hmm. Like I have to be a like moving. And so we did all that. And then Later that night, everybody left, and then they, the nurses and the doctors talked to us about if he wanted to be an organ donor, because mm-hmm. I'm not really sure on the license if uh, he was an organ donor, but um, I I mean, that was my dad. Like, he would give the shirt off his back. He would literally do anything for anybody, even if he didn't like you, mm-hmm. like, way better than me, <laughs> you yeah, know, like, course. would do anything for anybody, so I was like, of course, like, yeah, we're, we're gonna do that. And, um, so I remember we went to the room and I'm pretty sure the lady had red hair and if she walked in, I wouldn't know, but I can see her red hair and we're sitting there. And at this time, I, I didn't say, but I'm 19, um, when this happened and the lady, you know, she's asking all these questions. Do you want to donate this? Do you want to donate like X, Y, Z? And my mom, like, she's in shock. Like yeah. she, she can't even say any words. Like she just is like, I, I don't know. And she looks at me like. I don't, I don't know. What do you want to do? Mm-hmm. And at this point, like I have no, I've only been in college for a year. I don't even know what I want to do with my life. Like I had no clue that I was going to be a nurse. So I had no medical background at all. And so then it was like, I had to just take over and do this role because I was like, I'm not like, she just lost her husband. Right. Like I can't like, I can't expect this yeah. of her. So I was like, okay, well let's just, so we just started going through the list and we did all that. 
And so then that night we stayed at the hospital and uh, she slept by his bedside and then I slept uh, with some of my friends and family out in the waiting room um, because we'd go in and out. We didn't mm-hmm. sleep at all that night. And then the next morning um, I was like, I need a shower. I need to like just wash all this off, like compose myself. So I remember my grandparents had a, a hotel room right down the street. His parents? Uh his mom and stepdad. Okay. And, um, so they came and picked me up and I was just about to get in the shower and somebody calls me, you need to get back here now. So I don't know if he was coding or if he was just going down really fast. I really never got the gist until I was just thinking about it the other day. I really don't know exactly what happened. Mm -hmm. And, um, whenever I came back, they pretty much were like, we're going to take him for one more test. And this was kind of the, this was kind of the test. Like, if this happens or if there's no brain activity, then this is when we declare it. And so they take him for the test and then they pretty much declare him brain dead. Mm-hmm. It was about lunch-ish. Um, and so they gave us time, um, you know, to say our goodbyes or to say anything we wanted to say. or um, that, was, that was hard. Yeah. And um, so then after that, they said they was going to have organ donation. That could take, you know, a day or two. I don't really remember right. how long. But that happened, and then we ended up leaving the hospital. Going back home Mm -hmm. and figuring out how to plan a funeral. Yes. So what kinds of questions were you faced with or um, perceptions were you faced with immediately after this happened? Um, I don't know. It's more like why. Uh, Well, for me, like, people not really asking – Someone did text me while we were in the hospital. I'll never forget this. It was like, did your dad die? Like, what? Uh. Did did you? (laughs) What? And then they, you know, like, people just would text random things or they would be really sincere and say, like, I'm sorry and that, you know, if you need anything. And that was, but I think it was for me, more for me was why. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, people would be like, well, did you know he was upset or did you know he was depressed or did you, or what happened? Right. Or what, you know, it was the more like, um like rude, insensitive questions like, did he die? Did, how did he do it? How Mm -hmm. did this happen? And it's like, obviously if you're my close friend or family, then yeah, that's fine. But don't, you stop asking questions. Mm -hmm. Find out from somebody else because your mouth works just fine around town, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, so did you find out anything afterwards that did hint more towards why he did this or why he decided to make this decision? Um, yes and no. Um, so there were a lot of signs. And when I say these signs, just because this happens, just because this happened to my dad doesn't mean that someone that you know, or something, you know, that's going through this doesn't mean these are the classic signs. And this is absolutely what's they're going to portray. But um, he did lose a lot of weight. Um, I mean, he probably lost 30, 40 pounds fast, like his jeans couldn't fit. He was having to buckle his buckle really tight. Um, so that was one thing. Um, he lost a lot of weight. He was really quiet. My dad could, my mom, how she always, she's like, you're like your dad. Y'all could talk to a tree if it would talk back to you. (laughs) And so like he could talk to anybody and it was fine. And he like did not want to go out. He did not want to go and conversate with people. He was very quiet. It was like he almost isolated himself to the house. I don't know if he was worried that people were going to ask him like, oh, why are you shutting it down? Or why are you, Mm -hmm. you know? But he, like, got in his mind that, like, something was going to happen and that he was going to, 
like, owe money, and it was just, like, right. the depression just kept stacking on him, like, things were gonna happen to him, and it was gonna affect all of us, and that's, like, the main reason why he wanted the car in my name, because he was scared if the government or somebody came that at least I had my car, like, that was his big thing, he wanted uh-huh. type things, and, um, I forgot to mention it earlier, but he did send my mom a text, and that's how we knew it happened, so he te- sent my mom a text at 1048 in the morning of January 31st, and... She got the text at her desk and immediately knew something happened and because it was a long text. And so they finally, my, my mom and uncle found him. And so that's how we kind of knew mm-hmm. what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, other signs were um, at Christmas, I bought them George Strait tickets. And whenever he opened it, um, he was like, I don't think I'm going to be able to go to that. Or um, I don't know if I'm going to make that. And I just thought, well, I'm sure if it's, if you start this new job, it's only one day. Yeah. Like, you can already ask off in advance. Like, and that's what we thought he meant. We didn't mm-hmm. think he meant, obviously, he wouldn't be here. Right. Or otherwise, we would have said something. Um, he returned some items to, to my grandma, and it was stuff that she'd given him. And he was like, no, I want you to have it back. I want you to keep it. And she was like, she, she didn't really think anything of it, but right. just was like, okay. Um, he told my mom that he wanted to move and he wanted to pack up everything and just move to a different country and want to just start all over. And she was like, okay, like, let's don't be that, you know, like everything's going to be okay. Like, it's just a rough patch. We're all okay. Um, and the last big two things was my grandma, his mom point blank asked him probably, and we didn't know this until after probably two weeks, maybe a month, maybe a week. I don't remember how said, Bradley, you're not thinking about doing anything stupid, are you? Implying mm-hmm. you're not thinking about harming, harming yourself. yourself. And he just looked at her and went back to do it what he was doing. He didn't say yes. He didn't say no. So, I mean, she she just thought, right. okay, well. He was offended by her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that was something we didn't find out till later. And then the week, the night mainly, uh, in the week before, this all took place, his mood changed. He was more talkative. He ate more. Like, my mom said, you know, he would just eat like a bird whenever Mm -hmm. all this happened. Normally, he would eat like a cow. (laughs) But um, whenever this happened, that week before, he ate at my grandma's, and then he came home and ate. So they were like, well, his mood's changing. He's becoming, you know, coming better. But the reason was is because he'd already decided a plan. He'd already decided a day. He'd already come to peace with it. He'd already made terms with it. So he wanted to make his last time or last amount of time good and spent with us. And maybe he thought, oh, well, if they think they won't even think anything of it. So, and I know we'll never know the answer to a lot of these questions, but do you think that at Christmas, whenever he did react that way about the George Strait tickets, that he already had a date in mind, or he just knew that it wouldn't be long? I don't think he had a date then. Okay. Um, I think, no. I think, I think he knew that what his plan was Mm -hmm. because of just how he was acting. Um, obviously we didn't see them now, but, you know, looking back, you're like, oh, well, why didn't we ask? Why didn't we, even my grandma, when she asked that, I mean, why didn't, you know, I say, well, what do you mean? Yeah. Elaborate. You You know, yeah. Instead of assuming that's Mm -hmm. what he was meaning. So, but I mean, no. um, I think for me personally, I, 
in my head when I think about mental illness, it's like a lifelong sentence almost. Mm-hmm. Like, this is something that she's been struggling with since she was six, and now she's 46, and so this has been... But it doesn't sound like that with your dad, and that's not what I remember of your dad, and that's not oh. what everybody I talk to remembers of your dad. So this was a very quick process yes. for him. Oh, how, yes. how quick was it? I mean, how many months? Um, the, mm, I don't even know. <clears throat> From when um, you first might have had a red flag? Yeah, I would say, I think for me, whenever all this happened is... Uh, Like, in high school, I, like, had hard times. I did. And I, you know, had expressed just just depressed and down. And he came in and he stepped up and was like, no, we're going to get you help right now. Mm -hmm. We're going to go to a therapist. We're going to get you on meds. We're going to do all that. Him and my mom both were. So after this happened, that was what I think I was the maddest at him about. Mm -hmm. That I was like, really? You stood up and said, no, this is what we're going to do for you. And then you didn't give us any ideas or any... You know, like, right. hey, um, so I would say probably, I don't, I would say once they decided, so maybe in the fall, like August, September, just a couple months, like not right. max six months and not, I wouldn't even say that. Um, and that's when the weight loss happened and right. he got, cause before that my dad was happy go lucky. So like would talk to anybody, laugh. He always had a smile, always like loving. And it was like, when all this happened, it was he just wanted to be isolated and didn't want to really talk and was just very, like, why, why'd y'all get me that? Why'd y'all, mm-hmm. y'all didn't need to spend money on me. I think that totally changes the way that I've always thought of how this looks, that it's like a lifelong battle, like I said, and, and it can happen so quickly and then totally overtake you and take you down quickly if mm-hmm. it's not, you know, watched mm-hmm. and medicated and talked about. Um, so, yeah, it's... I think it's awesome that whenever you were going through some of the same things that he made that important that you needed to go seek help and get whatever it was, whether it was medication or therapy or whatever. I think that's really important for us to say here, like, don't be afraid to seek help. Like, it's oh, yeah. it's nothing to be ashamed of. No. Everyone is going through some kind of battle and yours may look totally different than the person next to you. But both of you need to find an outlet in some way, whether it's a friend or a parent or a sister or a counselor or a doctor that can get you medication like that's there's nothing to be ashamed of to talk about it um so you talked about how you were the maddest at him for that that he wanted you to get help but didn't get help himself Mm -hmm. what else how else did grief look in the following months for you um everybody does grief differently um obviously my mom's was instantly like sad morning. Um, mine was instant anger, just like that. Um, that's how I was. I was angry. I was mad um, because he he in my eyes he decided to leave. Mm-hmm. He it wasn't like he had some diagnosis and yes, depression and mental illness is a diagnosis, but it wasn't like you know like they gave him X amount of days to live. Right. Like he chose this, so that's how I felt, and it was very deep to me because then I felt like, I mean, I was 19. I was starting my sophomore year, my second semester of college, um, all the above. And my family was falling apart. Um, numerous family members, they were at each other's throat, blaming each other, mad at each other. Um, and so I was always in the middle. Mm -hmm. They would want me not to hang out with this person or this person because they were mad at each other and they placed blame. And finally, I was like, I can't do this. Like, y'all, 
y'all are putting me in the middle. This so is too much. Yeah. So it was very hard on me because I was like, my emotions were everything everywhere. Um, and honestly, you know, after this happened, it wasn't like I was one of those people that was like, oh, I'm just going to run to the church and I'm going to run to God and I'm going to, because at this point I'm just angry. I'm mad. I'm like, why would you do this? Right. Why? Like to him and not only like, just why, why is this happening? Why? Mm -hmm. And, um, really I, I didn't show my emotions. I don't really show my emotions a whole lot. Um, and really when I was in college, I was so worried about my mom because I was thinking, well, if one parent decided to do this, why would the other one not? And she's grieving. And so that was my big thing. Like, how, you know, like, what's to say that she's not going to leave yeah. me too? What's the next thing? Yeah. And so that was really hard for me. And, um, so it just, I don't know. So I, I, how I handled it was I would get drunk and I would cry. And that was the only time I showed emotion mm-hmm. because that was when I couldn't control myself. I couldn't control the tears. I couldn't control what I was saying because the alcohol was there. That was there. the only out you were yep. allowing yourself. Yep. And that was when I would have my breakdowns and my crying and all the above. Right. So that's how grief looks for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, do you still today feel some periods of grief where some days are harder than others and it's kind of overtaking you? Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Um, there's different triggers. There could be that, you know, I don't cry for a month or I don't cry for, you know, months or days or it could be hours. It could be that... I just see a picture or I could see, like, I think a big one for me is, like, um, either brides dancing with their dads Mm -hmm. or, um, uh, or people, like, they have their grandkids and it's Mm -hmm. the grandpa loving and that's, that's, that's probably the two hardest ones for me is just seeing that because, like, I never got to, like, experience that. He never got to see me go like graduate from college and nursing school and find the love of my life and get married and then eventually have kids. Like mm-hmm. he's never going to see that. And yeah. be, I mean, yeah, he's seeing it from heaven, but he's never going to see that in right. person and we get to experience that together. Has this changed the way you approach relationships in general? Are you more hesitant to give up your heart or do you feel like now you know how, um, short life is and you're like Uh, yeah I would say I definitely this hasn't changed and like if I think something's wrong with someone like I don't hesitate to ask or if I think you know they're really down or depressed like I will say hey trust me you can talk to me I have been you know like my story they don't all know the in-depth details but they know how my dad died and so I'm always like, hey, you can come to me. I'm not going to tell anybody. I'm not going to, we can go do this. We can go get help. We can, but I don't want you to ever feel alone. You don't have to sit here and talk to me, but I want you to know that someone is here. Have you had those opportunities? Quite a few of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have. Yeah. That's cool. Mm-hmm. It's not a situation you'd ever want to be in to have that no. experience to help somebody, but you're definitely finding purpose in going through what you went through. Yes. By being able to help other people with the same scenario. Definitely. So you talked a little bit about how you didn't immediately run to God and, mm-hmm. um, you know, say, I'm just going to be in the church all the time. Mm-hmm. What did the, what did that look like? Did it cause you to question? Did it cause you yes. to doubt? Mm-hmm. So I know we talked earlier, but, um, so we, whenever I would, I would have dreams about my dad and my dreams were, um, that he was in, like he was gone and that he had the chance to come back. And he was like, no, I don't want to come back. I want to stay. And at that moment in my life, I was like, 
even if he had a, a do-over, he would still choose to leave. Mm-hmm. And that's what I thought in my mind is that he would leave. Um, so that was, that was pretty hard, um, for me, I feel like, because I was like, well, why would you want to leave whenever yeah. you're, you're, you can come back to us. Your family's here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it did cause you to question if, you know, God was real or. Yeah. Just like, why? Like, why would he do this to me? Like why? And I know people say, oh, God only gives you like this. You what know, you can handle. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. And I was like, that's a lie. Why? And I was like, why, why did I get chosen for this? Why did like, yes, I feel like I'm, you know, somewhat of a strong person, but at the same time, I'm like, this isn't fair. Like, can this other person not? Yeah. I mean, I don't wish that on somebody, sure. but why me? Why is it my... Why do you think it was yours? Um, <laughs> I don't... <laughs> Still don't have the answer. Sometimes I don't know. And sometimes I think because I'm not scared to talk about it because it gets brought up and I don't, you know, and maybe... I was able to just handle it more than somebody else. I mean, I would never wish this on my worst enemy that I don't, you know, like I would not ever. Well, I do want to make mention that when I asked you to come on this podcast, you immediately said you were nervous, but you said there was a hundred percent, like it was a hundred percent. Yes, you were coming. There was not a question that you were going to do it. It was, I'm nervous to talk about it. I'm nervous to deliver the message, but I'm going to do it. Mm -hmm. And when I asked you to come on, I had already been told that you spoke to a group of people about suicide awareness. Tell me about where that was, what that was, who it was, all of that. So it was uh, while I was in nursing school at UT Tyler, um, there was a um, organization called NAMI. I was the president. It's a national alliance on mental illness. And they had a suicide walk every year. And um, it's kind of like where you, uh, like they would, it's kind of like a, fun, have games, uh, have suicide awareness, um, just walk. And, um, so they asked me to speak because they had heard what, you know, about my dad. So I ended up doing like a, I think it was only like five or six minutes, um, about it, just saying, you know, this is my story and this is what happened. And pretty much like just saying, like, get help if you need it. Mm -hmm. Don't not get help because yeah. Once again, not not a position you'd ever want to be put in. No. But you were able to stand on the stage you probably wouldn't have been able to and speak to however many people. We talked about that earlier. We don't know how many people it was, but the opportunities that have presented themselves out of this mm-hmm. are pretty incredible. And this one being one of them, too, to come on here and, and tell your story. I know that a lot of people in Grosbeck and even the surrounding areas and anybody who had eaten Swick's Barbecue had heard what had happened, but I don't know that they've heard it in this way from you, detail for detail, day for day. Um, what ways did you, um, what ways do you continue to remember him and what ways did you remember him, um, throughout that process? So (laughs) during college, uh, I remember like joking around and saying, Oh, I want to get a tattoo and all that stuff. He's like, if you get a tattoo, I will cut you off. Like, don't come back. Uh, I mean, you can come back, but uh, you better be able to afford your house, your car, all the above. And so after after he passed away, uh, I looked at my mom and said, I'm getting a tattoo. And she was like, what? And I was like, oh, yeah, because I was pissed and mad. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to get a tattoo and make me feel better. Anyway, so me and my mom, we both went, I think it was like a week later some time and we both got a tattoo. Um, I got the day that he died on my wrist and she got, 
love you forever and always because that's in his handwriting and that's what it was and then later on I don't know it was a couple months maybe later I got a cross on my back and uh his handwriting it says I love you dad from one of the only cards I could find that he wrote at all because my mom always signed everything but <laughs> um yeah so I mean and I feel like at first we didn't really talk about him uh, me and mom me and my mom would get in fights kind of about that because mm-hmm. she'd be like well you don't even talk about him. You don't even act like he's, you know, so, and now I feel like, you know, we'll talk about random things or we'll laugh or we'll have tears that are, laugh that turn into tears because it's a funny thing and then we realize how much we miss him. Or it could just be a funny thing that, I mean, me and my uncle, I mean, we're super close and it's his brother and we're super close and, uh, I mean, we talk about him a lot and yeah. just, what do you think he would say or what do you think he would do and so. That's cool. Um, so has anyone continued the barbecue at all? Like, is the recipe floating around because it was really good? (laughs) Um, the, we do have the recipe and no, it's never. So at my wedding, we did do, um, some of the pork sausage instead of, uh, the other sausage that he'd had. And so we decided to do it at, um, my wedding and it was a huge hit. Um, everybody talked about it. Everyone loved it. Mm -hmm. Um, I have people ask me randomly that sometimes I don't even know their last name and they'll be like do you have that uh recipe to Swix barbecue and I'm like yeah but I'm not giving it that's like, <laughs> like under not... locking key <laughs> yeah literally so it's <laughs> um fault. and I don't even know why but I think it's just more that it's like dear and it's it a precious was, it's sentimental for more than just your family I yeah. think it's, yeah it was kind of a local staple for so long and mm-hmm. sentimental for all of us even, like, the smell, the building, all of that was oh, yeah. sentimental. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't touch on this earlier when we were preparing, but you did mention recently in this episode that you are a nurse. Mm-hmm. Did your situation in the IC with your dad have anything to do with that decision? Uh, yes and no. I knew I wanted to do medical field. Um, and my mom, like, I don't I think it was before... Um, she was like, you should be a nurse. And I was like, mom, I am not wiping people's butts. (laughs) Like that was my exact wording. I was like, I'm not doing that. And so then after that, the ICU night nurse was amazing. She showed me all this stuff. I didn't, and I didn't even know at the time. Uh And there's stuff that I still, cause I'm not ICU nurse. And so, um, she took her time. She explained things. Um, I wish I knew her name. I wish, you know, but, but she was amazing. Um, and she did do that. And then. Um, we didn't touch on this either, but my, so I had to, um, so I work at Hillcrest now. I work on the fifth floor and, uh, I work two floors above where this all happened. And I remember that, uh, when I was on my orientation, we had to transfer a patient down to ICU. And that was my first time to be down there since mm-hmm. everything. And so I kind of mentioned, like, I don't even think I mentioned to her. I just, when we got off the elevator, which luckily we went a back way and nobody, you know, it's different. Right. But we like kind of got by the rooms and like, it's like, it took my breath away and I was kind of like, and I just started having tears and she's like, well, is everything okay? And I just kind of explained to her. So it was like that first time going back down there mm-hmm. and transferring that patient, it was just a whole bunch of emotions just yeah. came over me and that I had to, you know, deal with and say, wow, this is, yeah, this, this, this happened. really happened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even though there's so so many parts of it you don't remember, mm-hmm. that moment brought it all back for you. What is the 
perception of suicide that you've had to deal with from other people or even your perception of suicide prior to this happening to you? Um, for me, I mean, I just, you know, like you were saying, like you think, oh, well, they've been depressed since they were four and all this happened or this, this, this happened to them. So yeah, they're depressed or they're down. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, it just, in my mind, it was never what it happened. Like, I just never thought, like, he would he would have been the last person I would have ever expected that to happen to. Right. So, it's just that there's a stigmatism, like, not stigmatism, a stigma <laughs> about, <laughs> about it. Just, you know, that people either, you know, or that they've had it so bad or so far gone that there's no way to fix it. Right. And that's not the case at all or they don't have family or they don't have a home life or they're on drugs or they're xyz and that's not the case at all and that was always my perception was y'all were like a picture perfect family and so (laughs) when it happened we were just like what in the world like something had to be seriously tormenting him and that was the case now that i've heard the story like that was definitely the case and that's something that's totally out of y'all's control and and i and you can't be blamed for it Mm-hmm. And was there times where blame was being placed and, um, yes. yeah. Yeah. Through the family. I can imagine. And, yeah. I can imagine, but that's Definitely. not the case at all. Like it's just something that he was dealing with internally on mm-hmm. his own. Um, you mentioned the signs that you saw in your dad and you mentioned that that's not the signs for everyone. Mm-hmm. Now with your time that you spent in the NAMI organization, are you still in there? No. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, were you able to learn more about signs and symptoms to expect Mm-hmm. So if you do go to the NAMI, it talks about it. Uh, and there's also the um, the suicide hotline, too. And it's 988, and you can call them or you can text them um, about yourself, I'm sure, or if you're worried about somebody else um, to get help. Um, or, I mean, like Kara was saying, like, don't, there's people, like, if you don't feel comfortable talking to your mom or your dad or your best friend, there are other people who have either experienced it or dealt with it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, a big thing that don't, it's, it's okay to ask for help and it's okay to ask people if they're okay. Mm-hmm. Like, and I would rather someone get mad at me and be like, I, I, I would rather them be like, I'm not like your dad, I'm not going to do that, than right. me have that guilty conscience to ever think, Oh, well, if I would have just asked and if I would have just said, are you okay? Or do you need to talk or just slipped in my phone number or anything? Yeah. Then. And if you don't have anybody to talk to about it, uh, you can reach out to Kaylee or me and exactly. we will figure out somewhere. Yes. Some help to get for you. Um, what kind of stigmas have you had to rewrite or since I'm not really aware of the suicide awareness community and what kinds of um, objectives they have that they're working towards. What are some things that we're trying to make more awareness about? Um, So a big thing, and I am just as guilty about it, um, is changing the wording. So um, instead of saying, you know, someone, like, you you shouldn't say they committed suicide because they didn't commit a crime. Um, that's the big thing is that you're supposed to say like died by suicide. So it doesn't give, that's another stigma is that you're like saying they did a crime and that they did something bad and now it's a result. So, um, I think that's a big thing for me is I, even myself, I need to be better at it. Like, or like, you don't just say, oh, they kill themselves Mm -hmm. or like, that's not the proper wording that should be like died by suicide is 
the better, gentle. you know. Yeah. It's more gentle. Yeah. Um, if you had to tell somebody today who was in your shoes, not your dad's shoes, but your shoes, how to, how to get through it, what would you say? Um, I think I would say, um, <laughs> I wish I could tell you that in two weeks, in a year, in five years, it's, it's gonna like go away and you're hurt and your emotions and everything would just go away. But that's, I would be lying to you, um, to make sure you have support because there's going to be times that you're in a dark place and you're in a deep, you know, just be upset because of everything that's happened. And you just think, why me? And, um, just having support that it's okay. Like it's okay not to be okay. Um, with everything going on, it's okay to have emotions. It's okay to cry. It's okay to, you know, ask for help. Um, because I mean, people that have been through this, it's different than having a family member pass away from a different diagnosis mm -hmm. or a different disease or a different tragedy. Um, because people don't understand it. People, this is a completely different thing. I think so often people don't know what to say when it happens either. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't know what to say to console you, except I'm sorry and I'm praying for you, you know, because we also have so many questions just like y'all did. Oh, yes. Um, yeah, that's really good stuff. So the suicide hotline is 988 instead of 911. It's 988. 988. And you can call or text that. Yes. I will um, put that in the show notes. But I want to thank you so much for coming on. I know that this was tough. I know that it brought up a lot of emotions that maybe you hadn't had in a little while. Um, but I know that God's going to work through this episode. He has worked through every episode we've had so far and we've had so much good feedback from it. And so, um, I'm very confident that this is going to make a difference in somebody's life, change their outlook on what they thought happened or what they think about suicide in general. Um, and I'm just so thankful that you are willing to come on here and share your story. So, Me too. all right. This episode airs on September 4th, 2022. Unbeknownst to me, when I asked Kaylee to come on, it turns out that September is National Suicide Awareness Month. God is already doing big things through this episode. In the corner of the recording studio sat Kaylee's mom, Susan. She sat sideways, facing away from Kaylee, because she knew if she broke in front of Kaylee, Kaylee would break too. I watched Susan closely as Kaylee told her story. The biggest smiles during the sweet memories head nods of confirmation and in agreement, and heavy tears and quiet sniffs as grief poured out. There's no owner's manual on grief. It hits sporadically with unexpected triggers in an unknown duration. It creates questions and directs doubt. Before this episode, Kaylee and I spoke about those doubts and how deep her mind let them go during overwhelming grief. Even when it was unrelenting, she knew God was still good and that there was purpose in this pain. She knew he was present, even when the hurt was heavy. Maybe you're going through overwhelming grief, too. And whether it looks like Kaylee's or completely different, God is still present. I pray you find peace and rest in it. Thanks for listening to A Slice of Paradise.